as entrepreneurs, we all struggle with the opportunity to provide leadership to our team to really make our vision a reality. Well, I have a special guest today, a fellow entrepreneur who has led a multi-billion dollar company, 20 years as CEO of Hearst Newspapers, and has made a huge difference. He's going to share with you the lessons that he learned along the way of how to have really innovative leadership and create that lasting change. And he's done it not only in his business, but also has shared this message with over a million individuals. You don't want to miss this. Ordinary success? No way. You want amazing, remarkable, exceptional breakthroughs. Dig deep, think bold, drive hard, watch yourself soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com Bob, I am so excited to have you joining us with the magic of Skype from Cape Cod. I'm out in Silicon Valley. Bob Danzig, you know, it is a privilege to be with you today. And my privilege to be with you, John. I can see that happy, smiling face on my screen. <laughs> well, excellent. And you know what? I can see yours as well. And we were introduced not that long ago by uh, one of uh, our coaches here at CEG Worldwide. And she shared with me how inspiring you were. And I picked up your, you know, I had a chance to talk with you, read your conversation with Bobby. And I just saw all the life lessons going from you know, foster child all the way to being CEO of one of the uh, most prestigious publications in the world. Uh, I've read many of your papers along the way. <laughs> and, and at the same time, steer through one of the most challenging times. I mean, how did that all happen? I mean, uh, you've had a very rich life. And Bob, how old are you now? You're, is it 82? 81. 81. Okay, 81. So, I mean, About you're out. 45. Yeah, you've been out there really making a difference. And you haven't stopped. And I know as fellow entrepreneurs, that inspires all of us. But maybe give us a little background you know, before we go into the lessons that you're going to share with us. How do you go from bouncing around foster homes to uh, being the CEO of one of the most successful businesses out there? Well, John, there's always a risk of sounding trite in the response to these, but I recall these very vividly. And they're about being open, open to the good people who cross your path and reach out and offer you they offer you a chance to sip at their stream of life. And the first one that I remember was my social worker moving me to another foster home who reached over, took my hand. Every time she met with me for a year, took my hand, looked in my eyes and said, never forget, you are worthwhile. And that lady, Mae Morris, made me feel like a person for the first time rather than driftwood floating around the foster care system. I never forgot her words. They were a tattoo on my mind. So I believe that these things start by being open to the people who cross your path and offer you, offer you that twig of possibility. Well, and Bob, one of the things that I saw out of this that was, you know, as I was reading it, and I, I remember exactly, you know, that quote. And, you know, not only did I think of your story, but I thought of those people who have touched me along the way. And it's those, you know, little, you know, surprises in life, oftentimes when we're beaten down a bit, that somebody offers us that, you know, really recognizes the value within us that gives us the confidence. And, you know, that, that she was exhibiting tremendous leadership in a, a trying situation for you. 
Well, Jaron, that's true. And the second most important one also came from another woman who was accidentally in my path. She was the office manager at the newspaper in Albany, New York, that hired me as the office boy. And I worked for about six months. I did not know that she had been a foster parent. She later told me that when she found out I came to the foster care system, it incented her to take an interest in me. And one Saturday morning, we were covering complaint phones, and she said to me, I want to see my, I was scared to death, John, I thought I was going to get fired. <laughs> she sat me down, and she said, I've been the office manager 15 years, and I've been observing you. And then she leaned across her desk, John, and said to me, I believe you are full of promise. And that moment, I was 17 years old, that moment, she gave me permission to have ambition. I never forgot her words. We have those moments in our lives. Everyone watching this can shut their eyes and see those moments. I call them angel threads in the tapestry of our life. She was an angel thread of my life. I never, never, ever after that felt that I was unworthy. No, and it's and I think this is one of the parts as I was reading that, you know, again, the angel threads that going through my life, I mean, I've been so privileged and all our fellow entrepreneurs, we're all leading successful businesses. We're out there making a difference. There's been people who have done that and one of the, have done it for us. Nobody gets, nobody accomplishes greatness on their own. And we, we all need each other to do that. And that those little points of inspiration. And it just reminded me how important it is to pay it forward to others as we go through that lesson because the opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life is often just a few words. I agree, John. And we have to be as leaders who've had the privilege of what you just described and the extraordinary success that's come our way. We don't realize sometimes how deep and etchy we make in other people's lives by a kind gesture, by a compliment, by a celebration of people. I do this all the time with servers. I find out about a server in a restaurant. They've got a story to tell, and I acknowledge them. If you get in the habit of acknowledging the so-called average folks who cross your path, that habit carries with you when you're dealing with the extraordinary people in your path. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we have, everyone has so much to be grateful for uh, that's watching this. I mean, it's just, you know, we are very privileged and to be able to, you know, acknowledge other people. I mean, the joy that we can bring to them, the inspiration we can bring to them gets paid back to us many fold. It's, it's amazing to me. But, you know, let, let's go, you know, what I'm really interested in and fellow entrepreneurs is, you know, the classic, you know, American dream is mailroom clerk to CEO. Well, I don't, it doesn't sound like you were a mailroom clerk, you were an office boy, but I, I don't know which is higher, Bob. But to CEO of... It, it happened overnight. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's all the fellow entrepreneurs know about overnight success. But what we want to do I mean, is... Once again, it's about being open to those angel thread moments in your life, all right, John? You know, I went in the Navy. I'm in the Navy on this ship. I had never read a book in all the years in foster care. The guy in the bunk above me was an English lit major from NYU. He brought with him all the modern library classic works. There's nothing to do on the ship about bobbing around the ocean. He adopts me and has me read all these books. He talks to me about the character, the development, the nuances. So when I get out of the Navy or go to college nights, I'm a star student, John. I'm not smart. I'm just well-tutored by that guy. Unbeknownst to me, the publisher of our newspaper was on the board of trustees of that college. I wrote some little stories for the literary publication. He plucks me out 
instead of putting you into a 12-year program to possibly succeed me. Uh, I did that program for four years. I go to Stanford University in a fellowship program. I come back. He drops dead. I succeed him. Never saw a profit loss statement, John. Never saw a balance sheet. I didn't tell that the corporate folks when they told me I was going to be the publisher of that newspaper. All right. I just described people who I did not choose to have in my life who offer me the gift of opening a door of opportunity. My choice is do you take the doorknob or not? I think entrepreneurs are in the habit of taking the doorknob and then opening it for other people. That's well, happened to me over and over and over again. Well, how do we do that more effectively, Bob? Because as entrepreneurs, you know, oftentimes we're driven individuals, we're focused on getting results, we want to make a difference in the world. A lot of times, though, particularly people who have started the business from day one and run with it, you know, they're, they're not as used, uh, and, you know, you are not as used as professional management as you, you know, as you became office boy either. But, you know, professional management, as we start getting scale and so on, this, you know, we've got to enlist other people, enroll them in our vision. We've got to help them kind of, how do we do all that? I mean, that's a, that's a lot. Well, John, my number one rule, we all have our rules. Now, I'm not saying this is number one for everyone, but the number one rule for me is to find a way to celebrate the talent of your organization. You celebrate the talents, okay? And I'll give you an example of how I did. We have 6,000 folks working for our newspaper company, all right? They're all over the country. We have 59 newspapers. How do you celebrate them when you're sitting in New York City in a corporate office? I can tell you how I did that, okay? But I think the number one starting point for an entrepreneur building an organization, building is be aware of what it means to celebrate the shared talent who are really helping create that business with them. We bought many, many average businesses, John, and I'd walked through sniffing out what I call the spirit quotient. It was neutral. I said, oh my God, this is great, because if we can find a way to celebrate the folks here, we'll move this business from good to exceptional. And that's the way I think we do it, because when we do that, the folks who are engaged with us have their talents flow more robustly. It just, you can't manage that. You invite that by effective leadership and you lead by celebrating the colleagues. Bob, you know, one of the things you talk about in the book is the difference between managing and leadership. You know, where, would you just kind of comment on that? And then I want to go to, you know, 70% of mergers and acquisitions tend to fail. I've been involved in a whole bunch of transactions and uh -huh. so on. You have too. I want to go to that too. But what, what about this, you know, kind of uh, so many people, yourself included, myself, I mean, I've, I've always been in financial services and I, I didn't ever want to be a leader. Uh, I wanted to really make a difference individually with helping people and so on. And then as we built scale and I started other companies, all of a sudden I got, you know, the classic accidental CEO type. And I struggled with this management leadership a lot. Well, John, I have some convictions, and probably all of your viewers and colleagues have convictions also. My conviction is this. Management is about today. Leadership is about tomorrow. Management is about process. You had to set up a process for this very podcast we're doing now, the camera, the testing, the guidance, et cetera. Management is about process, but leadership is about purpose. You have a noble purpose in what you're doing with this podcast, okay? And the management, in my view, is about feeding the body of an organization, all right? You've got to feed the body. But leadership is about nurturing the spirit. 
When you nurture the spirit of a place, you invite excellence. So I think it's just going to give them the habit of leaning towards leadership just 51% of the time. Management gets stuff done, but management, in my judgment, in my experience, never raises you to an extraordinary level. Leadership does that. And the leadership is expressed by strategy, by talent, by celebrating your colleagues. I don't think it's complicated. I really don't. And I could give you examples of places we bought where the spirit quotient was was dull. Well, let, well think, let's wow. let's talk about that, Bob, because one of the you know many entrepreneurs they'll build a business and then they want to get scale and they've decided they can only grow so much organically, so they're going to go out and acquire other businesses. And many people are disappointed on acquisitions. They, they don't under, you know, they're buying something that is not working quite as well, different culture, all that. I mean, when, you know, and you were doing it in an industry that, I mean, people are passionate about their newspaper. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know, things have changed a little bit more recently, but they still get my newspaper. I get three every morning and they all come electronically now, so I don't have the paper boy delivering them. But boy, I had the chance to visit a number of the major publications and spend some time with the, the San Jose Mercury News. I can remember just watching that evolution and so on. It's a, a top paper, but boy, they're passionate. And how, acquiring groups like you know other fellow newspapers and making it work, how did you do that? Well, John, we had some guidelines that emerged over time. If you do things often enough, then certain things become apparent to you. One was, we're not invading this place. We're not invading them, okay? (laughs) We're partnering with them. Number two, to have an attitude and a posture of, how do we make ourselves one with these folks? Uh I'll give an example of that if you wish it, all right? But, well, I'll give it right now. Yeah, let's go. We, we, we bought a major newspaper in San Antonio. We bought our competitor in San Antonio. Lifelong, career-long, hot work competitor. We buy them. They start from a position of enmity and hatred. So I decided to acknowledge that. Say, if I were you, this is how I would feel about us, all right? And then I went there every single Tuesday for two months. I met with different departments every single Tuesday. Tell me what's on your mind, okay? Then every Tuesday night at the local publisher, have a dinner at his home for the spouse, etc. I ship Tiffany gifts down for the wives, Tiffany gifts down for the men, hand them out at the end of the evening, so that by the end of a couple months, we were one. We were one. We weren't the acquirer. We were the partner. I think you have to invest in the kind of thinking that creates partnerships of the people you're acquiring. They're going to start off distant, suspicious, angry, you're the winner, they're the loser. Acknowledge that and then work to make them partners. It worked beautifully, John, it really did. I can't get over how often we did that. Well, and the the thing that I appreciated, uh, Bob, in reading about your books, and we'll we'll go back to your books uh, a little later when we talk about resources, because I think they're a great resource for our audience, is not only did you pay attention to the, the big details, the leadership part that you just talked about, and you just mentioned it real quick, but I want you to go back to is you, you paid attention to the little things. And I was surprised with the attention and I kind of ashamed as I read it because I've never done this with the spouses that you made time for the spouses that are going through some of these challenges with the Tiffany and flowers and so on. Sure did. As a matter of fact, uh, 
my colleagues used to tease me that the saddest people in New York City when I left was were the florists, because I always sent flowers to people, okay, and Tiffany's, but we had a pretty good deal with Tiffany's. <laughs> but nevertheless, I believe that. You have to find a tangible way to celebrate folks. And John, just to give you an example, I said we have 6,000 folks. We have people all over the country. But every day I was in New York City, my assistant, Marge Murphy, would send a note out. Bobby's here today. She called me Bobby, the insider thinks she had going. And by 4 o'clock that day, that property was have the name of someone worth celebrating their organization. One sense about what they did. And if they're married, their spouse's name and their home address. She typed those up, never more than 20. Mm-hmm. And I took them on the train with my personal stationery, wobbling on the train, writing a personal note to everyone. If John were with us in San Francisco and had done something notable, I'd be writing a night to John, note to John, and I'd send it to your home address where you were loved. And if you had done something extraordinary, John, I might send flowers to your wife, saying congratulations on the good news for your John. Now, if you won a statewide prize, for example, or something, then I might send a Tiffany gift to your wife. Same note, congratulations on the good news for your John. You'd get home, your wife would say, what are these flowers about? What's this Tiffany? All right, And you would tell her what you had achieved where you worked, okay? It's amazing, John, the impact of that. No, I'm, I'm going to put that, Bob, I'm going to uh, repurpose that in my business and use it because, you know, and what I liked too, I mean, you know, I do send those notes, but I send it oftentimes an email, not as often as, as I should in, you know, a handwritten note. And then when I do send the handwritten note, I always send it to the business. And boy, what a brilliant idea, sending it to the home so the people around them that they love them, you know, they can open it up and share it with them. And then right, yeah, the gift, too. Yeah, my successor sat next to me for five years, John, in New York City. We were talking about traditions we would maintain. Mm-hmm. George brought in the next day every note I had ever sent to his wife, every card that was ever sent. He said, you can bet your boots I'll continue to do this. When you celebrate people, John, they become the marrow of your excellent performance. They really do. Well, let, let me go to, I'm going to play, I totally agree. And let, let me, I'm going to play a segment here. And this is the big breakthrough. And what, what I'd love to hear from you, you know, I mean, you, know, you didn't, certainly in the foster home, they don't teach leadership. Okay. They don't teach you how to run multi-billion dollar businesses. And, you know, what was the big breakthrough? If you were going to look back, what was the big breakthrough that really accelerated the success, you know, either when you were CEO or getting the CEO that, you know, would be a lesson that could help other entrepreneurs? Well, this might be helpful to them, John, okay? And that is transparency and candor, okay? You alluded to this earlier. When I took over the Hearst newspapers, we had a bunch of broken properties all over the country, mostly losers, big city losers, all unionized afternoon papers. They were kind of drafting along, drifting, feeding off the profits of our magazines and television. So when I first board meeting, Randy Hurst, who was alive at the time, said, well, Bob, what's your first priority? I said, to get off welfare. <laughs> we're on corporate welfare. That became my theme with our folks. We're going to get off welfare. We're going to develop strategies to confront this. We are on welfare. We're going to develop strategies together, and we're going to identify the talent that can get us there. So we emphasize talent. We emphasize strategy. We emphasize risk-taking, and we celebrated success. And, John, it's amazing what happened. 
It really is. I went from being a ward of the state in our company to being the leading cash creator by the time I stepped away. That wasn't me. There were all these factors I just, you start out with transparency, candor, and you engage people to join you in the journey. I never felt I was equipped to mandate what we should do. I'm just not that good or smart, but I was equipped well enough to know what was reasonable strategy, what was unreasonable strategy, and how do we become strategic rather than operational. See, operational is managing a place. Strategic is leading a place. There's a real difference between the two. Well, and I, I look at, you know, having read the book, and you know, I'm going to encourage, again, uh, conversations with Bobby, and we'll, we'll go over a couple of your other books, too, but the just transparency, I, I, there was the one negotiation with the union, with one union that you weren't able to go and you shared the story. And I grew up my, uh, in a family business. Uh, my dad had, as a, a, with my uncle, a, a cast iron foundry. And, you know, just the challenges of labor and so on. And, and what did work was transparency. When you get everybody on the journey and you just, hey, you know, <laughs> if we're gonna keep the doors open, you know, we've got to do some things. And, uh, you know, we can share well, that transparency and good and bad times. I don't want to invade your time there, John, but the one you're alluding to was a major, major market. And I shut the paper down. I closed the presses down in the middle of the bargaining because the union's real calcitrant. It was like a hot knife through butter. And we got the deal done, John, but nobody in the history of the paper never shut the presses down, okay? I said, enough is enough. Bam! Shut them down. Evacuate the building. I was the last person to leave the building. Well, and and, and how long were they down, too, Bob? It was a short period, wasn't it? Oh, well, we were down overnight. Yeah, and then then it just overnight. yeah. Well, and then <laughs> yeah, no. Well, John, the hot knife goes to butter. He's there and lifts itself out. Okay, that's all we need to get the unions. Yeah, done. yeah. In yeah, fact, no. I went because we had we had eleven unions. Ten had agreed to the change if necessary to take this thing off the ward of the state. One would not. So I went there to thank the other 10. One big room full of people, 110 of them. Yeah. And I called out his name. You, Henry X, <laughs> you killed the newspaper tonight. That'll be on your tombstone. He jumped up and said, caucus. I want to get this resolved. <laughs> no, that was a risky thing to do. No, well, I mean, That's take a risk. So, sometimes, you, you know, as entrepreneurs, we don't embrace risk. We, you, we want to reduce it. But on sometimes we've got to take, you got to stand up. Bob, let me go to another section here. This one is all about passion. And, and you know, why don't you share with us what you're doing now, what you're really passionate about? Because you're, I mean, you know, one of the things as entrepreneurs, we all, we get a platform, you know, our businesses and so on. And, and then, you know, I know I've sold a few businesses, some fairly successful, and, you know, all of a sudden you come home and you don't have your whole staff, your team. I didn't have 6,000, I had 400 employees. And, you know, your wife, you know, will only do so much for you. She gets tired of doing it and you, you've got to create that other platform. And you have, you just, I don't, you've hit the ground running, you're making a difference. But, you know, share with us what you're doing now. Yeah, well, number one, John, I seek babysitters. I know the things I don't know how to do well. Mm -hmm. And I seek people who can do those things for me. And I create these teams of babysitters. That's what they, they babysit. They do the stuff that I can't do, all right? Number two is I think you have to be open to new ideas that come your way. John, in the last two years, I've written five movie treatments. 
I've written one proposed TV reality show. It's being pitched right now. I have an agent in Los Angeles pitching these movie treatments, okay? They're all based on my book, except two. My wife and I are doing a movie treatment right now about a book I wrote last year, Shakespeare Lives on Cape Cod. And uh, in addition to that, I just made this four DVD series, all right? And John, I'm booked to speak all over the country. I can't, well, as I said to Diane, I was joking, I said, I'll be showing up in a walker one of these days, but they still want the message, John. They want the message. Mm. And there's an advantage to being 81 because you're draped in implied wisdom. You may not be wise, but you're draped in implied wisdom. So I am booked in 2015 as a speaker. So I, I'm doing a new book right now. I just, I'm doing a book called Fresh Start Moments. I'm passionate about that because I think, among other things, it can become a reality TV show. So you lubricate the pathway of your life by being open to the things that come your way, and you surround yourself with babysitters to do the things you can't do. It's worked pretty well, John. Now, Bob, did you ever, I got to ask you this, did you ever retire, try retirement in the classic sense? Oh, no, 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 no. I wrote my first book, The Leader Within You, mm -hmm. to be released the month after I stepped out of my corporate office. They wanted to release it the year before. I said, no, 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 no. You release the book when I leave my company. I went on a nationwide book signing tour for almost a year. I had huge publicity for this book. The book took off and it amazed me, okay? Parade Magazine ran a feature out of about 37 million readers, all right? So I became a professional speaker. I'm in the Speaker's Hall of Fame. So it was just about being ready to embrace the next. I never gave a moment's thought to so-called retirement. Well, and I, I think retirement is just new things. That's all. Yeah, no. Well, it's a, yeah. We're. I mean, and I'm so glad you didn't do that. I mean, I, that's one of the things I see. There's so much wasted talent when people check out early, and you know, you've learned so much in your life, and your ability to communicate that and share it with us is greatly appreciated, Bob. Let me go to uh, next area I want to ask you about. And we have a segment, I call it the book of the day. And tell me a book that you would like to share with your fellow entrepreneurs that has made a difference in your life. Yeah, they're going to find this one odd, John. But when I was in the Navy, training to be a radio man in Bainbridge, Maryland, they had a book sale. I picked up a book for 10 cents. The name of the book was Today is Here by a vagabond poet named Don Blanding. I love that. Book. Well, I'm going to put it up. Amazon does have it. I think they only have one, though, so I'm going to order it here, but you might want to check it here. <laughs> well, anyways, that book has been such a source of inspiration because he writes as homilies, not difficult poetry, and he draws beautiful stuff. I keep it in my car, John, and I read it at stoplights. I'm never irritated to stop. I get a horn once in a while <laughs> in the middle of one of his poems. But I have found that book over all these years to be such a comfort. It's like a friend in the car with me. Today is Here by Don Blanding. No, I'm looking forward to the uh, picking it up and uh, getting it here shipped. The other, you know what I'd, I'd love? I mean, you, you've, you've learned so much in your life and you've had... You know, some unbelievably great experiences, some humble experiences. Let me go to this here. And I'm, what I want to do. Is ask you, you know, with all the lessons you've learned, Bob, and is what would be the one insight that you would want to share 
with your fellow entrepreneurs so that they could make a bigger difference in the world? Fire, fire adversity and fire ego. Uh, and what do you terminate, mean by that? Terminate adversity and terminate ego. One of the great benefits, John, of growing up in the foster care system, I had to survive. I had to become a survivor. That matured in my business life to perseverance. So difficult things come up, no matter what your business is, what your family, whatever it may be, okay? Adversity ends up on your front lawn. If you're a persevering type of chooser, then you fire the you fire the adversity. You start with that mindset. I'm not going to let this dictate my life. Sorry to be pointing that way, but I feel well. I want you to make the okay. point because it's a big that, one. <laughs> I'm going to find solutions to this situation. So you start off with that. The second is to fire ego. I find ego is such a drowning thing for so many people. I just told you I just made these DVD series. All right. Mm -hmm. The videographer came to my home. He wanted to do something casual, etc. The lights are on my white hair. Okay, <laughs> I got a double chin sitting on this couch, etc. I look at this thing and said, "I'm not going to put that out to the world." All right. And then I, I listened to the second DVD walking around the house. I said, "This is great content. I've got to fire my ego." All right. The ego is in the way. Look at the white hair or the double chin. Okay. So there are these moments in life where your ego is inviting itself to be in command. I think you have to fire your ego then and take charge yourself. So I think firing adversity and firing ego, well, it sounds like a bumper sticker, they've been very helpful to me. Nah. You can't avoid adversity, John. You can't avoid it. But you can choose how to deal with it. Well, and we, one of the things that all your fellow entrepreneurs know is adversity shows up. You know, I said that nobody gets through life unscarred, and most of us have many scars, but it's how we choose to deal with it that makes all the difference in the world. Well, let me go to resources here. And Bob, I just put up your website. What, what can the viewers and listeners find at your website at Bob Danzig, B-O-B-D-A-N-Z-I-G.com? John, they're going to find all my books. They're going to find MP3s downloadable. They're going to find eBooks and print on demands, which is, by the way, what I believe the whole world is coming to. I would never go back to a standard publisher again because <laughs> only, a, only an author sells a book, okay? If you're going to sell it, why sell it for 12% when you can get 85%? So all my books, there's CD packages, there's audio packages, and there may be some video packages. I don't remember because so many products have gone up on that site, and, uh, and they're all fulfilled by somebody else. I don't touch anything, John. And these new DVDs, this new DVD series will be on that website also. Now, this is this is great. I mean, I, I one of the I just see there's so many lessons learned. And what I really appreciate is your willingness to share these resources, you know, share with me today in the audience, the your insights on the podcast, but also, you know, the books. I've had the chance to just read uh, two, and I'll go back to your website here. Conversations with Bobby, I have finished. I've just started the leader within you. And, you know, that's very prescriptive and it's, it's been a great read. So, you know, I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to getting the DVDs as well. Well, let me go to the last section here.
And Bob, you know, I, I just, I mean, there's so many key takeaways that I have from our conversation. I, you know, I am, you know, understanding the difference between management and leadership, that leadership is purpose and having that clarity in enlisting people and, and to do that consciously. The second is, I'm going to call it, uh, don't forget the, the, the little things. And the ability, and that's your celebration, that, that's a huge takeaway. And that's one that I have dropped the ball. And I know fellow entrepreneurs and some of my partners have dropped the ball along the way. And it's not only the individual, but it's the family. It's our whole business. And, and I don't care whether you only have 50 employees, 6,000 employees, or 100,000. Know, you can celebrate that. It's just so important. And then uh, the, the fire adversity and fire the ego. I mean, those are, as we have more and more success, it's so tempting to get caught up in ourselves. Read the press releases. The adversity is, you know, fire it. I mean, I love that and just dealing with it. So, Bob, I want to thank you again for taking the time today from Cape Cod and sharing with us uh, your, your wisdom, giving us the tools to really go out there and make a difference. John, my great pleasure. I've enjoyed seeing you smile throughout this whole thing. You also are very well prepared. That's impressive, John. Well, it's, it's great to have great guests who are out there making a difference. And let me finish on, you know, what we have is we all have an opportunity to make that den in the universe, as Steve Jobs talks about. And, and certainly Bob has, and he's given us the tools to do that. There's a transcript again at AESNation.com. You can just go to all about accelerating your entrepreneurial success. And never forget your clients, your customers, current and future, they're all counting on you. Don't let them down. Wish you the best of success. Thank you, John.